Well, we're not far from being done. We have a few things we want to cover yet in this study, but we're not far from being done. I want to thank you for persevering and seeing it through. We're in the home stretch of this, and before we begin our study tonight, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this evening, and thank you for those that have come out tonight. I pray that you would minister to our minds and hearts through this study this evening, instruct us, and we'll thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the most important things when you're looking at the scriptures are those verb tenses. We're going to show you how important they are tonight. And the verb tenses will tell us the time that the action occurred. It will also tell us the type of action that occurred. For example, if I said, I shot my pistol, all right, now I'm not shooting it now, so you would obviously assume from that statement that at some point in the past I shot my pistol. What you wouldn't know is, did you shoot it one time? Did you shoot it multiple times? Was it in the past? Obviously, it's in the past sometime, but how many times? All right. So you couldn't tell by that statement that I'm making in English. You could tell it if you studied the scriptures. And God had his scriptures written in such a way that these tenses will tell us exactly not only the time of the action, but the kind of the action. And we said there are six different tenses. That's where we left off. And the first one we want to talk about tonight is the present tense, the present tense verb. Now, the present tense is used about 11,583 times in the New Testament. And the present tense basically presents continual action in present time. So the present tense presents action as continual, habitual action in progress. It has no regard for the beginning or the end of the action. It describes something as just continuing to happen. Now let me show you a great verse of scripture where this becomes critical. Go to Matthew 7. In Matthew chapter 7. These tenses of verbs become critical to forming doctrine. And most people that are confused on doctrine... If they knew this, they would either have to just blatantly reject it or they'd have to change the way they think about things. But in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 7, we read, and Jesus is teaching concerning the subject of prayer, ask, and it will be given you, seek, and you will find, knock, and it will be opened to you. What Jesus is doing there, what Matthew is recording there when he records the words of the Lord, is he uses present tense verbs, which means you don't just ask one time, you don't just seek one time, you don't just knock one time. The emphasis of that present tense verb would mean this is continual action. You continually, habitually, repeatedly Go to the Lord in asking, seeking, and knocking about something, and it'll be open to you. It's a great promise of prayer. It's a great promise to stay persistent in prayer and keep praying. I mean, that is a wonderful thing that's just revealed to us by the present tense. Now, let me show you another one. Go over to John chapter 14, if you would, please. John chapter 14. I think these tenses become critical, which is why God, of course, used these tenses and had them in his word. In John chapter 14, I want you to notice verse 17. Let's start at verse 16. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That settles it right there. He's going to be with us forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you, and he will be in you. Now, he abides with you, and that is a continual action that is taking place. This is wonderful doctrine. Jesus is teaching his people 
that the Spirit of God is going to abide with them forever. He's going to be in them, which he would come to indwell them, and he'll be with them all the time. That's present tense. That is a wonderful thing. It's a great doctrine. Now go over to John 16. John 16. And here's another one where the present tense becomes, I think, so illuminating. In verse 27, John 16, 27, For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from the Father. Now, when it says the Father loves you, he's using a present tense verb which indicates you are continually loved by God the Father because you love God the Son. Boy, that is precious doctrine right there. That is in the present tense verb. So that becomes very, very critical. Paul in Romans 9.1, when he said, I'm telling the truth in Christ, I'm not lying, he's basically saying, I tell the truth continually. I don't lie continually. I'm continually telling the truth and I don't lie. In 2 Corinthians 9.7, Paul writes, God loves a cheerful giver. The present tense would indicate that one who gives to the Lord cheerfully, he continually loves. He loves a cheerful giver when he sees someone giving a portion of what they have to him cheerfully. God says he continually loves that. He loves that person. And then in 1 John 3, 8, John is stressing the devil continually sins. The text says he has sinned from the beginning. He is a devil who continually always sins. That's all he does. So those present tense verbs tell us the kind of action and the type of action, continual action, present time, typically. Now, the second type of tense of the verb is called the imperfect tense. The imperfect tense is used 1,682 times in the New Testament, and the imperfect tense is used to describe continual action that was in progress in past time. For example, in Mark 9.20, a boy was brought to Jesus and a demon threw him into a convulsion and falling to the ground. The text says he began rolling around and foaming at the mouth. Well, he began rolling around. That wasn't happening then. It was continual action that happened there in the past time. He was continually rolling around when this action was taking place in the past time. In Mark 12:41, I do want you to go over to Mark 12:41 because we're going to look at a couple of them from here. But in Mark 12, 41, we see in Mark 12, 41, and he sat down, this is Jesus, he sat down opposite the treasury and began observing how the people were putting money into the treasury and many rich people were putting in large sums. The rich people were putting in large sums means that back when this happened, that's what those rich people were doing back at the time when the widow was there to put in her poor might, in verse 42, that's brought out. They were continually, habitually, back then at that past time, doing that. Now, they weren't doing it at the present time that Mark is telling the story, but he's referring back to what those rich people were continually doing in past time. They were continually doing that. All right, then if in Luke 159, Luke says concerning the naming of John, they were going to call him Zacharias. Now, what that text is talking about is back when John was going to be born, there was an argument about what they should name him, the John, the forerunner of Jesus Christ. And there was a continual movement. This is what the imperfect tense would indicate. There was a continual movement among people, and they were going to call him Zacharias in the past time. They were continually doing that in past time. Obviously, it didn't happen. He was named John. 
Then in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The word was is in the imperfect tense. It's one of those linking verbs we talked about earlier. I won't go into that again. That'll confuse you. But the thing that is interesting, in the beginning was the word by using the imperfect tense, is it would indicate he was continually existing in past time. He was continually existing in past time. In the beginning was the word. He continually existed. Jesus Christ was continually existing in past time. So you can see how doctrine is formed by careful analysis and study of what these words say. In Romans 6.17, Paul uses an imperfect tense to teach that before salvation, you were slaves to sin. In other words, that's the way God saw us. Prior to salvation, we were in slavery to sin. So there is the use of the imperfect tense. Now we come to the aorist tense. The aorist tense is used 11,606 times in the scriptures in the New Testament. In fact, it's interesting. This is quite an interesting story, actually. I don't know if I'll name who it is, but Mary got an interesting text today from someone who was having some medical help come into the home, and the person in the home was talking about the scriptures and they brought up aorist tense. And the person said, well, that sounds like our pastor. And, of course, then the conversation, well, who's the pastor? And, of course, it was from our church here. Turns out the person in there also goes to our church. They didn't, I don't think, knew it at the time. But they understood the term aorist tense. They understood that because we've brought that out multiple times. The aorist tense is critical. And it's the tense of the verb that views the action as occurring in past time and at a point of time. The time of the action is usually past, not always. And the type of the action is focusing on point of time action, a punctiliar moment. Whenever the aorist tense is used, you're looking at a point of time, a punctiliar moment. It's like the imperfect tense. It's typically in action in past time, but unlike the imperfect tense, which is continual action, the aorist tense is a point of time action. For example, the imperfect tense would say, I was sleeping, where the aorist tense would say, I slept. The imperfect tense would say, I was reading my Bible. The aorist tense said, I read my Bible. In other words, I'm pointing back to a moment of time when I read my Bible. Now, it's true, the aorist tense may not always look backwards, but it is always usually a specific moment or point of time. Now, as long as you're open to Mark, and I told you I was going to have you go back there, Jesus is using this to show the fact that that poor widow that just gave a couple of mites gave the largest offering there over and above what those rich guys were giving. That's the point of this story. Now, you'll notice in verse 44, for they all put in out of their surplus, but she out of her poverty put in all she owned and she had to live on. They all put in out of their surplus, and that is an aorist verb, which would indicate at the point of time that that widow did that, that's what they were doing at that same moment of time. In other words, at that point of time when this was happening, they're all, all of them, are just putting it out of their surplus. They're throwing some bucks into the offering plate, as it were. And here's this poor widow, and she comes, and she's given a two bites, and Jesus said, I'll tell you what, that woman right there gave more than all these other people. So that's by the aorist tense. When we go to John 4.20, our fathers worshipped in this mountain, 
The Samaritan woman reflects on that, and it is looking back to a point where the Jewish people were there. John 4, 14, whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never thirst. And that's a critical doctrinal point. How many times do you have to drink of the living water to be saved? And that's the analysis he's using here. That's the analogy. He's saying that you need to drink of the water to be saved. I'm the living water. Whoever drinks of the water will be saved. Well, how many times do you have to drink of the water? By using the aorist verb, he's saying one time. One point at time. You drink from this water and you are saved. John 6.51, he uses the fact that he's the bread of life imagery. And he says, whoever eats of this bread will live forever. Well, how many times do you have to eat of that bread? Do you have to eat of that bread multiple times? He uses an aorist verb, which would indicate, nope, one point of time is all that's necessary to come to terms with Jesus Christ, and you are forever going to live. You are saved forever the moment you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. In Romans 5.14, death reigned from Adam to Moses. Now, Paul is looking back on a point of time, and the point of time that he's looking back on, by use of the aorist reigned, the point of time that he's looking back on is the time frame or block of time that existed from Adam to Moses. And of course, the point he's making here is at that time, they didn't have the law that told them what was sinful and what was wrong, and yet people died. Why did they die? Because they were classified as sinners in Adam. That's the point of the argument. And when Paul says death reigned from Adam to Moses, that's critical. That's critical because he's basically saying during that whole block of time, from Adam to Moses, before the law was given, people were dying. Well, why do you die if you haven't committed sin against the law? Because you were declared to be a sinner in Adam. And this becomes critical to forming theology. Now, the things that we're talking about here tonight, I have to say, in fact, the things we've talked about in this course, most don't even consider. But if you do consider these things, you can see how you form doctrine and see how doctrine is built. It's not just a free-for-all, okay, you believe A and I'll believe B. I mean, we're taking this stuff seriously in the formation of what we believe. Romans 8.30, and these whom he predestined, he also called. These who he called, he also justified. These who he justified, he also glorified. We're talking here about a point of time in which God does that for every single person who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. Point of time point of action. He has predestined you. He has called you. He has justified you. He has glorified you. Point of time action. One point of time you believe in the Lord, that's yours. Then in Philippians 2.28, therefore I sent him, and Paul said, I'm sending Epaphroditus to you. I sent him back at that moment of time. Now these aorist verbs all point to a particular point of time. The aorist tense does that. And the aorist tense looks at time from different angles. Action is complete, a specific moment of time. It's completed action. It's never to be repeated again. For example, it took 46 years to build this temple. Well, the temple was built, so they didn't need to rebuild it again then. So that would be completed action. Then action is started at a specific point of time. For our sakes, he became poor. And then finally, action is culminated at a specific point of time. I have learned to be content. That is a culmination. So there's your aorist tense. The thing I want you to remember about present tense, continual action, present time, generally speaking. Imperfect tense, continual action, past time, aorist tense, point of action, specific point of action, usually past time, not always.
Now the fourth tense is called the perfect tense. The perfect tense is used 1,571 times. And the perfect tense is the tense where the action is completed in the past and then you have continual results or progress action into the present on into the future. So in the perfect tense, you look back to a moment of past time that has continual results at the present time and even into the future time, or to state it another way, something exists at the present time that is the result of the past action. For example, if you said, I believed in Jesus Christ, and then you go back to the date that you did it. That's your point of time that you're looking back to when you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. That fact that you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ is an action that continues on right now as you sit here tonight and then right on into the future. So you're looking back to a point in time where that happened, and then that action continues on now and on into the future. And that action is called perfect tense. When God wants to communicate that matter, it's perfect tense. And I like an illustration I took from my old initial Greek grammar, J. Grisham Machen. He said, if someone asked a judge, what did you do with the prisoner? And the judge said, I've released him. We would understand that to mean that he released him at some point in the past and that he was still released at the present time. That would be the perfect tense. So if he said, I released the prisoner, and you can see that. If, on the other hand, the judge said, I released him in the aorist tense, it would simply mean at one point of time he was released. It may be he was also imprisoned again because all the judge was saying there is that at one point of time he was released, and that would be the aorist tense. Now, this perfect tense is critical, critical to doctrine. I mean critical to doctrine. For example, in Luke chapter 5 and verse 20, Jesus said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. That is a perfect tense verb. Your sins are forgiven. And it means from that moment of time in the past, right now into the present and on to the future, your sins are forgiven. In John 16, 27, Jesus says that God the Father continually loves those who have loved me and have believed that I came forth from the Father. These disciples had believed from a point of time in the past. They're loved by God. They continue to believe at the present time that Jesus is speaking and they're loved by God forever. Romans 3.10, Paul writes, Just as it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. The scriptures were written at a point of time, have present and future tense results and applications. There is none righteous, not even one, apart from Christ, that has started in the past, it continues on into the present, on into the future, which is why everybody would need to believe in Jesus Christ. Because there's none righteous, no, not one. They need the righteousness of God that's only found in Jesus Christ. So the perfect tense is critical to doctrine. Then we have what's called the future tense. It's just what it says. That's used 1,623 times in the New Testament. The future tense focuses on action that's going to take place in the future. And it just speaks at some future point. Something's going to happen. For example, in Matthew 1.21, when the angel appeared to Joseph... He said concerning Mary, she will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. He uses all future tense verbs there. That's coming from an angel. An angel says to Joseph, she will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins. There's a tremendous amount 
of future doctrinal information in just that one verse by the use of those future tense verbs. So that becomes very, very important. In John 14, 26, Jesus says that he will send the Holy Spirit, and when the Holy Spirit comes, he will teach you all things. Now, actually, in that verse, there are several future tense verbs. He will send, he will teach, he will bring to your remembrance. So when the Spirit of God would come, the Spirit of God would have a wonderful ministry to the disciples and the apostles, enabling them to remember things and write things and teach things, because at that time the scriptures had not been written. In Romans 6.14, for sin shall not be master over you. And of course, the whole point of that discussion is once you have been justified in Christ, once you have been linked to Jesus Christ through the baptism of the Spirit of God, that's what Romans 6 is teaching, you cannot be mastered by sin in the sense that sin cannot master you and condemn you, can't ever overtake you once you've been put into Jesus Christ. In Philippians 1.18, Paul says, I rejoice, present tense, yes, I will continue to rejoice future tense. So Paul is basically saying, I presently and will continually do so in the future. I have joy in my relationship with the Lord, and certainly I rejoice concerning the people of God. In 1 Thessalonians 4, the dead in Christ will rise first, and we will be caught up. Those are future tense verbs. Those are verbs that pertain to the rapture. Now, obviously, it hasn't happened yet, But it is a future tense verb that the dead in Christ will rise and we will be caught up, future tense verb. So this critical passage presents critical futuristic doctrine that the church needs to understand. And you know, it amazes me how churches that don't believe in a rapture have just overlooked the tenses of those verbs. I mean, they're future tense verbs. It's not like it's a wishy-washy, it might happen. He's saying this is what is going to happen in the future. Future tense verb brings that out. Now, there's one other tense that we want to just talk about for a few minutes, and that is the pluperfect tense. This is used only 86 times in the New Testament. It's a rare tense. The pluperfect tense is the tense that emphasizes the fact that action took place in past time and the results of the action took place in past time. So you have action that happened back there, and the results of it are all back there. There's nothing in the results that are present or into the future. For example, in Mark 15, 46, Joseph, in regard to Jesus' body, said, they laid him in a tomb which had been hewn out of the rock. Now the tomb had been hewn. That's action in past time. The action was completed in past time. There's no more emphasis in the present time about that tomb because obviously the cutting out of that tomb and the designing of that tomb all took place in past time and that's when it was completed that's the pluperfect tense in john 18 16 but peter was standing at the door outside that action occurred in a past moment and the results of it were also in the past time that's what it says in acts 110 two men in white clothing stood beside them Now that occurred when Jesus Christ ascended up into heaven. In Acts chapter 1, these two men stood beside them at that time. That was a past moment of time. They're no longer standing there. They're no longer standing beside them as they went on from that point on. But they were at that moment of past time standing with them. Then in Galatians 4.3, Paul says, When we were under the law prior to grace, we were held bondage to the elemental things of the world. Now, Paul is talking here about back then, 
Before you experienced the grace of God and believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, you were held under bondage to the law and you were held under bondage to the elemental things of the law of the world, not only the action, but the results of the action. It's critical to theology here because what that would indicate to us by just the pluperfect tense is this was completed in past time. We're no longer under the law. And of course, we have many other passages that verify that anyway. So it's not just based on one pluperfect verb. But the fact of the matter is, we have multiple passages that would indicate we're no longer under the law. That was done. That law is gone, nailed to the cross. And then in Revelation 7, 11, all the angels were standing around the throne. That action was completed after the sealing of the 144,000 Jews from the 12 tribes of Israel. That action will occur. It'll be action ultimately that will occur and be completed there. So there are the uses of the verbs We've given you a little quiz that you can do for next week. I want to just again have you look at that little chart we put on page 89 for you. It kind of summarizes what we just talked about. Action occurring at a point of time is called punctiliar action. And there you have the little dot that represent moment of time. Action that has continual progress of time is called linear action. That's a continual progress of time, so it just continues on. Then you have the way we would break it down on the verbs of the use of the Greek language. You have the present tense, continuous action, present time. That's the way we would diagram that. You have the aorist tense. You're looking back to a point of completed action in past time. That's the way we have that little dot there. There's the point you're looking back to. Perfect tense, you're looking to a moment in the past that has results in the present and future. The imperfect tense, you're looking backwards to action that was occurring in past time continuously. In the pluperfect tense, you're looking at action and results of action that were in the past time. And in the future tense, you're looking for action that will continue in the future time. Well, I think we've covered some good stuff tonight. My opinion is good stuff. Maybe not so much by yours, but by mine. We probably have about one session left that we'll finish this up, Lord willing, next Wednesday night. I just want to introduce you to participles and infinitives, and then I want to just spend a little time talking about Bible translation and show you exactly what's involved in translating the Bible into the English language. We have a wonderful Lord's Day plan for you on Sunday with some powerful passages of Scripture from Romans and from Micah. So thank you for coming. Good night. The Lord bless you. Yes. This will probably be your last quiz. Yeah, that's it. That's it. There's a joy of praise right there.